You're listening to Seattle Sports Saturday with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. It is Seattle Sports Saturday. An hour later, we're more awake, I think. That's that's just how it is at this hour of the day. It's, a, it's 11, it's almost lunchtime. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, but I'm Curtis Rogers. He's Taylor Jacobs. We're back. Took the Thanksgiving holiday off, but we are here ready to get into this Seahawks-Giants game that's coming your way tomorrow right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Also, plenty of college football news and notes. The Huskies taking on Stanford later today. Uh, Stanford, who is, I think at this time, they are practicing at, I want to say, like Gasworks Park, maybe? That's probably where no, they're that's, at. That's Ballard too nice Locks. of a park. Let, let, let's go even further down the, the 405. We'll go Lake Boren Park in Newcastle. Smaller. <laughs> it almost sounds like boring, but it's boring. Uh, they can they can practice there. Jim Moore's is right up the street. He'll come and, and heckle them with for Dave Wyman. Yeah, if if you're wanting to get out to a park today and you happen upon uh, a Stanford a whole Stanford football team, not just players but coaches and, and all that, make sure you snap a picture and, and tell us where you see them at. Uh, they may pop up who knows where, but yeah, that's Stanford. What they've got going on this week, we've got more going on too. Unfortunately, Gonzaga Baylor that got postponed today. Uh, no huge college basketball matchup, which everybody's looking forward to, but. This Seahawks team, Taylor, right now, that's that's the topic du jour because they're eight and three. They've picked up two really big wins over the last couple of weeks, beating Arizona, beating Philadelphia. Now they've got the Giants. This is where this is the middle part of that easy stretch of the schedule. A lot of things to take advantage of here for the Seahawks team as they enter into the backs the, the final stretch of the regular season. Uh, I think this team is starting to answer the call which is a big question mark that we had a couple weeks ago, but I think they're really starting to turn it around here. And what what a fitting sort of stretch of games. Two New York teams back-to-back. If you can't win these two and sort of get that momentum rolling in the right way, really get those cementing victories, then there's going to be bigger things to talk about in two weeks anyways about this team and the longevity of their playoff run. But if they start it now, they start, they're start. they starting to get healthier. The injury list getting smaller each week. I know a couple of weeks ago we could have spent the whole hour just reading names of people who were on the injury report. That's starting to get a little smaller. You're getting people back. Penny's supposed to be back at practice next week, so you're getting even more depth there at the running back position. Uh, this is this is it for the Seahawks. This is the time to really, like in Canadian football, get your running start before the play snaps. Oh. <laughs> and then as soon as those playoffs hit, you know, you got a full head of steam running ahead. So uh, this is, but look, you still got to, you got to win the games, right? And we'll break down what the Seahawks need to do to get the win this week. It's still the NFL, but should you be worried as a Seahawk fan? Are you worried? As a Seahawk fan, first of all, text in seven ten seven ten. Join us in the convo, and uh, yeah, Curtis, what what are you thinking about uh, the Seahawks matching up with the New York Football Giants? Well, I mean, the Giants, despite the fact that they've won three in a row, I I don't have much worry against them. Maybe that kind of spoils what we've got going on later on in the show today. Uh, we're with you until one o'clock, by the way, eleven to one. Uh, we are going to be with you here on seven ten ESPN Seattle. 
But I, I just look at the Giants right now. They're, what, 4-7. and seven. They've got Colt McCoy as their quarterback most likely tomorrow. No Daniel Jones. And even with Daniel Jones in there, I'm not sure it's a big step up from what Colt McCoy brings you. They're both mobile quarterbacks. They're both guys that can pick up those yardage, pick up that yardage in that way. Um, Jones is a better thrower than Colt McCoy, but I, I don't think there's going to be much difference going up against McCoy as there was uh, going up against Daniel Jones. Jones, um, but I, I look at the Seahawks right now, and I think this is a team that is really starting to figure it out. And we'll get into that uh, coming up at about eleven forty-five. Do we believe in the defensive turnaround? Is there still work to do on that side of the ball? Uh, but for right now, that pass rush unit has been incredible over the last couple of weeks. Nineteen sacks since Carlos Dunlap has has factored into things. We still don't know what his status is going to be for tomorrow. It looks like it'll be a game time decision. But right now, things are going Seattle's way, and they're going their way to the point where a lot of national pundits who had said the Seahawks were lacking a significant amount of stuff have kind of changed their tune over the last couple of days where it's like, all right, this team can challenge for an NFC title. This team can challenge for a Super Bowl, even though their defense still is at the bottom of the league. But that gap between Team 32, the Seahawks, and Team 31 is much, much slimmer than it once was. And you got, again, two easy matchups these next two weeks. You're thinking they might be able to flip some of those numbers and become more of that middle-of-the-pack defense like they truly are, right? We we know that they're not an elite-level defense. Look, we, we know what that looks like here in Seattle. And we know that, that they truly aren't the worst defense in the league. They were playing that way. But talent-wise, they're not the worst defense in the league. So these next two weeks and maybe even the rest of the season – you may see this defense continue to take those steps forward, um, and it doesn't. Uh, it's no coincidence that Carlos Dunlap, the uh, the spark here to the uh, defensive pressure and the turnaround. No coincidence at all. Hey, let's get into this hour's big three. Number one. Well, we were just talking about it. Seahawks to take on the New York Football Giants tomorrow, one o five p.m. Quick turnaround for the Seahawks. For those, obviously, who remember earlier this week, they had a nice Monday night victory over the Eagles. Injury report, again, like we mentioned, coming out. Uh, big, A couple big names on there. Brandon Shell, Travis Homer, Trey Flowers, uh, all listed as doubtful, which means pretty much in today's terms that they're very, very unlikely to play. But, however, the guy we just mentioned, Carlos Dunlap, Sort of the spark to this defensive line now questionable. So that could be a piece of good news. Uh, the other questionable Seahawks are Kyle Fuller, Damian Lewis, and Carlos Hyde. And as we mentioned uh, also in the last little bit, Rashad Penny uh, supposedly to return to practice next week. So that, that backfield could be up to full strength. Again, heading into that matchup with the Giants. On the other side of the field, on the other New York team, Daniel Jones listed as doubtful. So you're going to see Colt McCoy taking snaps. Yes, that Colt McCoy. And uh, he will start at quarterback for the Giants on Sunday. Number two. Nearly a full year after he was after he was suspended for PED and substance of abuse violations, Seahawks wide receiver Josh Gordon has been reinstated by NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. Gordon will become fully eligible in Week 16 against the Rams, and his suspension will total 18 games. 
Is it a good problem to have for the Seahawks with so many receivers deserving of a spot on the 53-man roster? What does Gordon have left in his tank? How will the Seahawks incorporate him into their wide receiver rotation? All those things remain to be seen. Seahawks welcoming him back with open arms. Good to see Josh Gordon get back to the NFL. He's had plenty of chances to stick in the NFL. Hopefully this is the one that puts him over the top and puts the Seahawks over the top because, as we know, they've been interested in adding to the offense, even though it looks like they don't need it. I mean, there was all those rumors with Antonio Brown about a month or so ago. That didn't come to fruition. Josh Gordon back in the fold with the Seahawks. He'll be a, hopefully a big factor in the season's final two games. Number three. Well, we're keeping the soccer tradition alive here on Seattle Sports Saturday, following the Sounders as they continue their push in the MLS Cup playoffs. They will host the Minnesota United team on Monday at Lumen Field for a chance to play in the MLS Cup. Seattle uh, will, will face Minnesota after they upset Sporting Kansas City, the top team in the Western Conference for their bid for the uh, Western Conference Finals. And Sounders fans, they might recognize at least one name on that Minnesota United roster, Ozzy Alonso, a.k.a. El Corazon, the heart of the former Sounder engine, now the heart of that Minnesota engine. But don't be uh, too afraid of this team. Sounders are the favorites to win. Kickoff Monday, 6.30. So hopefully next Saturday we're talking about another MLS Cup trip. Uh, we'll be two for two, I think, as far as this show's history. We'd be talking about two Sounders berths in the MLS Cup. So back-to-back would be fantastic to see. They continue winning in the playoffs. Uh, on the other side of things, in the Eastern Conference on Sunday, the Columbus crew will take on the New England Revolution for the right to represent the Eastern Conference in the MLS Cup. Yeah, we're just uh, – Seattle Sports Saturday doesn't exist unless the Sounders go all the way to the MLS Cup. Uh, that's just it, how it is. It, I don't want to say it's a correlation or a causation, but I'm definitively saying it's both a correlation and a causation. <laughs> oh, wow. The you Sounders make the MLS list. Cup because we're on air. So you're welcome. That's how it is. That's how it is. Uh, some honorable mentions for this hour's Big Three. UW hosting Stanford today. That game's going to kick off at 1 o'clock Pacific time. That's right here on the West Coast. Uh, Stanford, like we said, kind of nomads right now with all the stuff going on down in the Bay Area. Uh, the 49ers impacted by it, too. Uh, so Stanford, they've been kind of traveling around. Who knows where they'll end up. Wazoo taking on the on USC tomorrow night, a rare Sunday night college football game. Very bizarre. Taylor, you're a Coug. Uh, you're going to turn that game on instead of Sunday night football after the Seahawks are done? I mean, yes, but... You know, begrudgingly, unwillingly, I will go and watch that game on a Sunday night. Again, it just, no Apple Cup last week, a Sunday night game, the team's only one and one. Who knows if they even play the game on Sunday? At this at this rate, who knows if they play tomorrow? And, and who knows if they even finish the season with a record better than one and one? And is that even a good season? It might be a great season for the Cougs at this point, because who knows, with Larry Scott in charge, it just feels like... Anything could happen in a negative way at any moment, and not a lot of positives to talk about. Unless you're a dog fan, then you're feeling pretty good about things. Also, uh, speaking of dogs, the Gonzaga Bulldogs, 
They were going to take on number two Baylor today. That game has been canceled due to a uh, positive COVID test with Gonzaga's program, a player and a non-student athlete, uh, both placed into quarantine today. So unfortunately, that huge matchup on the college basketball calendar, not going to get played today. And then speaking of college basketball, it has been a tough slog for the Huskies uh, to start the season. They are 0-3 right now. Uh, Nas Carter leaving the program yesterday. Uh, not the best uh, circumstance either. Uh, there's some tweets out there. You can go look them up on your own. Uh, and then Climate Pledge Arena. That's right, the new key Ooh. arena. Finally getting that signage up, and uh, it's it's there. I believe it's – is it in place yet or – I can confirm the the four sides of the Climate Pledge Arena have been placed by a helicopter, and they are currently up. So you can go safely, walk by, and social distance and see yourself the nice new signage. Same roof. You know, it's historical landmark now, so they uh, left the roof in place. But you can see the new signage. And again, another step closer to the hockey team playing in Seattle. Yeah, shout out to the Kraken. But coming up in this hour, we're going to take a look at the Pac-12. So much going on right now in college football, even college basketball. They're underway, too, so we'll get into all of that coming up at about 11.30. But up next, should we really be worried about the Giants tomorrow, or is this another foregone conclusion that the Seahawks are going to win? We'll talk that next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seahawks Giants tomorrow from Lumen Field and Seahawks 8 and 3. They got a game lead in the NFC West. Giants, Jets, Washington football team three weeks in a row. It's setting up so nicely for the Seahawks. You almost want to put your head out in front of the skis here and just kind of make 11-3 and a foregone conclusion because when you play these games out on paper, I would say nine and a half times out of ten, the Seahawks win all three of these games hopefully easily, which, I mean, is not necessarily how things go with the Seahawks, no matter the opponent. But, Taylor, when you look at tomorrow against the New York Giants, a team that, yeah, they've won three in a row. They are not the team that, was getting just curb stomped every single week heading into this three-game winning streak. But they're still not a great team in in terms of the grand scheme of the NFL. And and the only reason they're in position for a playoff spot is because of how historically bad the NFC East has been. When you look at the Giants and what they potentially can bring to Lumen Field tomorrow against the Seahawks, does it make you concerned at all, or or is this going to be something – is this going to be similar to what we saw on Monday with the Seahawks largely taking care of Philadelphia and, and even kind of getting by without having to play a perfect game? Now, the best part about this, Curtis, and I'll preface this, I'm not a player, right? I'm not playing tomorrow. I, I have no <laughs> – I do, but – I will have no literal impact on the game tomorrow. Yet, to me, this game, I'm comfortable predicting they will blow them out. And not a lot of people are saying that because it's not the Seahawk way, especially this season. But to me, everything has fallen into place for this team to really 
hit like to hit the clutch and the shift of the gear at the perfect time and take that next step as this team continues to roll towards the playoffs. The Chris Carson injury, him coming back, practicing in full. I don't think they'll have a, a, a carry limit on him at all this week. Um, unless they start to blow him out, then they're going to pull him because they obviously want to keep him healthy. But to me, the offense is going to be right where it was when it was playing at the top of the, the NFL. The defense is healthy. Now they have Carlos Dunlap on there, who we've, we've seen it. He's made big plays. He's helped other people get free because they have to pay attention to him. So that allows the opportunity for LJ Collier or Jaron Reed to really get more involved. And you've seen their growth as well since he's been there. So to me, and then you're talking about the injuries, right? Shaquille Griffin comes back. The secondary is looking better. Yeah, you have the the Trey Flowers injury that still looms. But to me, it just feels like this is the week that they put all the pieces together the puzzle is clear that they roll forward and they smash this New York Giants team led by Colt McCoy. Look, I'm I am all for a Seahawks blowout. It has been long overdue. It's something that used to happen a lot more frequently with Pete Carroll and his team in the early part of, of the their run here in Seattle. I think I tweeted out on Monday night saying, like, remember when primetime games used to be so there used to be so many blowouts involving the Seahawks that the networks would avoid scheduling them. That has long been disproven over the last probably three or four years. That's no longer the case anymore. Um, Fox sports is Greg Jennings here in cut number one. He kind of goes the opposite route of you Taylor saying that they don't need to blow out their opponents in the next stretch. And so, yes, can Russell Wilson still cook? Of course, but right now, we don't need you to be what we were trying to have you be at the beginning of the season. 30 attempts rushing is where it's on an opponent. Mm-hmm. It allows you to keep them on their toes defensively. You're trying to be a playoff team. You better show your opponents that you can offer something in the running game as well as the passing game. We know who Russell Wilson is, but against these few opponents that they're about to have, all they need to do is just enough. Now, you're expecting a blowout tomorrow. If they do play a close game against the Giants and win, if they win by a touchdown or less, what will that tell you about this Seahawks team? Will it tell you anything more than than what we already know, or, or could this be a diagnosis of something else? To me, that's a great question because as far as the predicting the blowout, I I feel that way. But as far as the needle moving in either way, if the Seahawks blow them out or barely win, I I don't think it shifts that that needle too much. I think we know what the Seahawks team is. They should get these two wins fairly easily, you know, minus any unforeseen mishaps, clearly, but... To, to be a 10-win team heading into that final stretch of the Washington, um, L.A., San Francisco t- to end your season, those are tough games, and, and they have tough fronts, right? And they're going to get after Russell Wilson. So, to me, this is where they find that rhythm, right? This is where they figure out who they are and and, and what they'll look like for the playoffs. We know what the the base of this team is. We know what it looks like when they can run and pass. Yes, they don't need to rely on Russell Wilson like they did in the past, but 
they do need to rely on that run game. And having that healthy Chris Carson back and having the depth behind him as they roll into these next few weeks will be crucial to the Seahawks' long-term success. Curtis, what do you think? I know you were a little bit nervous about this game, the spread being 10 points, right? And yeah. You would say bet both hands on the under or bet both hands that New York covers. What is the biggest reason why you feel that way? I think it's just the way Seattle has has approached just about every opponent where they kind of thrive in close games. They kind of look forward to those opportunities where it comes down to one score. I mean, Monday night was a two-score game for the majority of it until that garbage time touchdown uh, that, you know, gave Philadelphia, uh, you know, their 16 points or whatever. But to me, I, I look at New York and it's a team that the Seahawks should absolutely handle. I think I would be disappointed if they didn't win by more than two scores. It's just that maybe I'm, I'm such a battered Seahawks fan right now where, uh, you know, anything that is, is beyond a one score game just seems so far out of reach that I, I, until it happens, I won't believe that it could happen. Um, Taylor, when you look at this Giants team and the, and the challenges that they might present Seattle, where do you look at uh, immediately with this Giants team if Seattle is going to have a tougher time than maybe we're kind of expecting them to have? Yeah, to me, it starts with Wayne Gallman, right? And, and them being able to establish the run, establish time of possession, keep Russell Wilson and that offense and DK Metcalf, Lockett, Carson, keep them on the sideline. Wear down this defense as much as you can. Try and, and wear down that front of the Seahawks as much as you can. And then take your shots later in the game. Keep it close. Keep the time of possession in your favor. And then take your late shots to try and win this game. That would be, if I was a Giants coach, that would be the thing I would be trying to establish this week in practice. And again, on Sunday during the game is that... Gallman has some talent. We've seen him have a few great games, and fantasy owners, I'm sure, are familiar with him. But that would be where, and, and I think that's the key to success against the Seahawks in general. Keep Russell Wilson on that sideline. Keep one of the best players in the league, one of the best receiver tandems, one of the best running back groups. Keep them on the sideline as long as you can and try and wear this defense down for later in the game for you to take those shots to win. So that's what I would be worried about if I was uh, on the coaching staff. I think another thing that the Giants present is is their defense is better than I think people give them credit for. I know James Bradbury, their cornerback, has been uh, tremendous this season. He's been really good. Uh, Pete Carroll in cut number two talking about how solid of a defense New York has. Yeah, they're really solid. They're really uh, physical up front. They play the run really well, uh, very disciplined. Uh, Blake Martinez is a, is a terrific leader for him. You know, he, he's, he really directs the show, it seems. Uh, over 100 tackles, he's everywhere. He's all over the place. Uh, they're real big and solid up front where, where it all begins. They're a good group. I mean, this You can see why these guys are winning now. It, it, there's the, the formula is there. They're running the football. They're playing good defense. They're tough on special teams. All of that. Good kicker. You know, they've, they've got all the elements, and I can see why, why they're, they're getting hot. We, we got our hands full with these guys. 
And, and I mean, the Giants, their coaching staff, obviously descendants of the Bill Belichick coaching tree where defense is so emphasized uh, in that New England facility. Obviously, that's going to bleed out to anybody that comes from the Belichick coaching tree. Joe Judge being the head coach of the Giants now, he was a longtime assistant for the Patriots. So defensively, you know, watch out. You know, I know yesterday during Bold Take Friday, Stacey Ross said that uh, five touchdowns is what she's expecting from Russell Wilson against this Giants defense that might be a little bit of a stretch but hey I'm all for it if, if it means Russ can get back to that MVP level kind of play uh, but the Giants have, have been pretty you know for a team that's four and seven their defense has not been the reasoning for that record yeah no I would agree with that totally and for me, that that's why really I was saying you got to focus on the offense, just because the the faith is already in the defense, right? And you should, as a Giants coach, be able to think that your defense is solid enough to to get off the field a couple of times and get that ball back to the offense. But yeah, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, whether or not they're going to be, you know. Um, tailed by one of these dbs or if they're just going to play stick to their sides we'll see that a lot of dbs have been following dk metcalf but we've also seen curtis people who trust in the one-on-one coverage on dk metcalf have paid mightily and if that's the strategy the giants take then i'll take the seahawks chances on that you bring up paying mightily, and I don't know if you meant to do this because they're they're handing out the fines from Week 12 in the NFL right now. Darius Slay got fined ten thousand five hundred for unnecessary roughness in his tussle with DK Metcalf. So not only did DK get Darius Slay so frustrated that he was had one of the worst games ever, he now has to pay ten thousand dollars because he couldn't handle his emotions. So. Maybe DK can uh, keep that up going up against uh, New York in their secondary. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, what a uh, what an awful day Darius Slay had. And now he's got to pay for it, too. Woof. Uh, coming up in this hour, are you believing in Seattle's defensive turnaround? Text that into the Visihard Seltzer text line 710-710 if you think they have turned it around compared to where they were earlier this season. But up next, the Pac-12. Big day in college football big day in college basketball what does it all mean and also the head of officiating in the pac-12 has about as much experience as you and i have we'll get into all that coming up here on seattle sports saturday seattle sports saturdays with curtis rogers and taylor jacobs on 710 espn seattle coming up later today on 710 you were going to hear the Cougs game. Uh, Cougs taking on Colorado in basketball, but that game has been postponed. No, uh, no date has been announced on when that game might get made up. Uh, that was going to follow us here on Seattle Sports Saturday, but we're going to be taking you guys up to 1 o'clock here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Shout out to you for joining us here. Uh, later in this hour, are you believing in Seattle's defensive turnaround? Text that into the Vizihard Seltzer text line 710-710. But uh, Pac-12 football, we are just now a couple weeks away from the Pac-12 title game, December 19th. A couple more opportunities for... Uh, yeah, I know exactly. Like this season, it feels like it's just gotten underway, and now it's it's over. It's almost over. Pretty bizarre. But Taylor, you look at the Huskies right now, three and zero. That big win last week against Utah. They are. I mean, 
two wins against bad teams and that comeback win against Utah. They control their own destiny. Do you think it works out in their favor here to get to the Pac-12 title game? Curtis, at this point, it feels like they can, other than that Oregon road game, right, which you mentioned to me might be their only road game of the season, depending on how things shake out. <laughs> what, like, yeah, I honestly feel like they, they can do that, right? And they can literally go from being unranked, questioned what this team is going to look like with the new Donovan offense, with Jimmy Lake at the helm, a lot of big question marks. Who's going to play quarterback? We found out minutes before the first snap of the season. Uh, and yet, here we are, 3-0. and Dogs control their destiny. If they win out, they win the Pac-12 North. If they win out, they win the Pac-12. So, uh, it just uh, if you're a dog fan, you got to be pleased with what you've seen so far in a weird season, in a different season. But... That Oregon UW game is going to be massive. It's going to be massive for the conference, right? And I hope they both continue to win until that point. Um, again, UW fans, I know they took joy in watching the Beavs win the. Uh, I guess they don't call it the Civil War anymore. What do, what do they call? Not it anymore. I I forget what it's called. I know they they battle for the Platypus Trophy, which makes sense. Beaver yeah. Duck. That you know, half Beaver half. Duck. Love that. Um, yeah, no, it, it just feels like it's one of those things where, um, the dogs can just be themselves for the rest of the season and have a good shot to, to make it. I, I think it, it, it might be easier said than done though, because of how unpredictable this college football season has been. You don't quite know who your opponent is really going to be until, you know, it's set in stone about Tuesday or Wednesday of the week. And even then, there's still, you know, a lot of question marks as to, you know, the feasibility of getting these games off. But I I will commend the Huskies for being able to uh, not really have the kind of issues we're seeing other programs in the Pac-12 have with with guys remaining eligible and not, you know, having the the positive tests. I think that is a a tremendous tip of the cap to the athletic department over at UW, uh, making sure that these guys are are staying healthy, staying away from each other uh, outside of practice and all that. So uh, shout out to them for getting that done. But I think that Oregon game, is going, like you said, I think that's going to be the game of the year in the Pac-12. And I would hope that both of those schools, uh, you know, are able to, to get that game in because, you know, not having an Apple Cup this year, as somebody who doesn't have a rooting interest in either the, the Huskies or the Cougs, it was still a bummer not being able to tune in day after Thanksgiving, which is just that's what you do here in the state of Washington. If you grew up in this in this town in this area, is tune in for the Apple Cup Thanksgiving weekend. That's just how it is. No matter if you are a Husky or a Coug, that's that's the game in town. And uh, you know to not have that and and potentially not have a you know depending on how things shake out, not have. Oregon, Washington, which I I'm praying that everything stays in order, everything stays, uh, you know, nothing wavers from that because I don't see another game in the Pac-12 season that is going to mean as much as as the Ducks and the Huskies. Yeah, and especially Curtis, I think USC is overrated. I think they could potentially even lose to the Cougs. I know that the spread has gone up. I think it's minus thirteen in favor of USC now. 
I would bet that the Cougs cover that, and they could potentially shock them. They looked good against that Oregon State team that beat Oregon, right? And they weren't bad against that Oregon team. They had a good fight in them. That Oregon team is talented. Let's not forget about that, too. Um, So for the Cougs on the other side of the state, too, playing on a Sunday, going to be a little bit weird. But don't be surprised. Weird things happen in the Pac-12 after dark or when things get shifted. So keep an eye on the Cougs this weekend as well. Now, on the basketball side of things, for the Huskies, it is not going swimmingly. They're 0-3. No. This team, I think, looks worse than they did a year ago, and that was a team that finished last in the Pac-12 with two first-round picks on their roster. This year, I don't see anybody right now that has an NBA future. Uh, their best player in the program, Nas Carter, was uh, – I think it was mutually agreed that he would leave the program yesterday. Uh, he announced that on social media. Mike Hopkins now here in year four. You think the program would be built entirely to his vision in year four because by now there are no Romar guys left over. They, he is playing with his own deck of cards here, and he's 0-3, following that up to a, an awful season a year ago. Where do you think things stand with Mike Hopkins at UW? Is he getting himself on the hot seat, or, or should he be given a little bit of leeway considering all that's going on in college sports right now and how how difficult it is just to even get a game going? Yeah, look, this season it feels like it's going to be difficult to truly gauge if there is a hot seat, but the biggest sign, and we were talking about this off-air, Curtis, the one incoming recruit and the no incoming recruits the following year, that's not good. And that's oh. when things will be back to normal. And again, this should be when Hopkins should be finding his guys. We all thought we needed to wait. We knew he had the Romar guys and they were talented athletes, but two, three zone takes a lot of commitment and you've got to be either buy into the system fully or have played in it and have that familiar feeling that you know how to play in that system. But it takes some some athletes, right? And it takes discipline. And to not have those players now, but to not only have those players not coming in is a big, big red flag. So I don't think you can put them quite on the hot seat from the results of this season. Yes, they're terrible. Dog fans should be upset. But next season, if they're not bringing in those recruits, you might you might want to start thinking about what what the next plan is because that cannot happen with a team that runs a two three zone in today's day and age. Yeah, if you're not going to emphasize recruiting in your program and, and recruiting good players, then you better be really good at developing the guys that you have. You better be great at turning those two and three star guys into those four year players that you know become staples of your program. And are we seeing that with Mike Hopkins right now? I don't see it, right? I, I just don't. I don't know if there are guys on this roster who are, are sophomores and juniors that are going to be those memorable Husky players that we know you know, over the last decade plus with Romar and the first couple of years with Mike Hopkins here. It just If you're going to emphasize one or the other, or, or maybe both. Maybe you recruit good and develop good. But if you're not going to recruit the great players, you better be really good at developing who you have. And I, I just I don't know if Washington is doing that right now because it, it is so difficult to, to really see 
you know, beyond what the Huskies are. And, and I don't know if the pipeline is there to, to bring them out of this funk that they find themselves in. Uh, you know, it started off so great for Hopkins back to back coach of the year awards in the, in the pac 12. And now, uh, you know, maybe two straight last place finishes. It's like, what kind of coach are you? Are you this really good one that won with guys who really weren't your style of players or are you this coach that is struggling right now with guys that you you normally have? It's it's so bizarre, almost as bizarre as who's running the Pac-12 officiating. Uh, oh. A guy with two games of experience. Uh, I mean, we'll get into that uh, maybe a little bit later today. But it, it just the Pac-12 right now. Uh, I mean, we're not telling you anything you don't know. But Larry Scott, yeah. get it together, my guy. Uh, yeah, we've Text been asking in. you. Yeah, I was just going to say, text in, what do you think could run the Pac-12 better than Larry Scott? could be an inanimate object. Uh, it could be an animal. A person, place, or thing. Give us one thing you think could run Cartoon the Pac-12. Cartoon Cartoons, fictional characters, uh, food dishes, um, hats, <laughs> Great, a, a good hat. Anything that you think could run this conference better than Larry Scott, text it in, 710-710, Vizzy Hard, Hard Seltzer text line. We've been asking you also uh, to text it in if you believe in this Seahawks defensive turnaround. We're going to tell you next whether we believe or not right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. We asked you before the break, what thing – a person or anything could run the Pac-12 better than Larry Scott. We got a lot of great answers coming in. Let's let's run them down for you. The three six zero says a block of ice on a one hundred degree day. Ooh. I think that that works. Uh, Two zero six says a baby. Two five Very three. True. Yeah. Two five three says Jackie Moon. Shout out to him from uh, yeah. Semi Pro. 253 says, I think a good solid bowl of macaroni and cheese could run the Pac-12 better. Now, that one's my favorite answer so far. That one's, I think, my favorite. It's up there in the top answers. Who would turn down a solid bowl of macaroni and cheese at any point? I'd love that. You know who, Uh, Curtis? You know who? I'll give you one person. Larry Larry Scott. Scott. Yes. There it is. 253 says, Patrick from SpongeBob. Uh, He might be too smart. Too smart from Patrick. 206 says Curtis's wife. Absolutely. I recognize oh, that. Phone 100%. Number, though. Oh, yeah. Brenna would hmm. Brenna would put this conference back in order day one. We wouldn't have to worry Quickly. about that. I mean, she keeps this household in order. So, I mean, I would like to say I'm a productive member of society, thanks in large part to her. Uh, so, <laughs> but yeah, those are now, just Curtis. some of the. Keep yeah, coming in. Absolutely. Yeah, because if you heard this week, John Wilner of the San Jose Mercury News, he reported that the the new head of officiating for the Pac-12 has spent two games as a referee in college football and had not refereed a Power 5 conference game. He had done, I think, two games in the MAC. I got to mm-hmm. say, the battle of the Johns, John Wilner and John Canzano, when they are going in on Larry Scott, it is it is. Unbelievable. I love it. I hope that they continue to do it even after he becomes unemployed in a couple of years. 
Oh, they they have our sword, they have our axe, they have our bow, they have every weapon we could provide to back them up. The John and Johns, we have your back. We are with you. We on this anti Larry Scott crusade, however it, however long it takes. Keep it coming, guys. Keep it coming. But uh, we asked you also: Do you believe in the defensive turnaround of the Seahawks? It's been. Night and day difference, at least in terms of the pass rush over the last month. 19 sacks since week nine. That was when Carlos Dunlap made his Seahawks debut against Buffalo. They had six sacks on Monday night against Carson Wentz. They had a seven-sack game against Buffalo when they had just 12 in the eight games leading up to uh, week nine, or seven games, I think it was. They're now seventh in the NFL in sacks with 31. Taylor... The pass rush is there. I don't think there's any doubt about that now. But has that changed your tune towards the entire defense as a whole, or is there still some some room left to be uh, made up here with the defense? Look, I think there is still room to be made up. There's no doubt about that. You look at where they're ranking. You look at you know some of the production from some of the people. Um, I, I think if you ask some of the players on the defense them, themselves, right, if you were to ask a Bobby or a KJ, can this team still take another step forward? I think they both and, and all of them would say yes. However, I, I think this defense looks ready to be competitive in a playoff situation. We all point to the Kansas City Chiefs and... It's a team I'm pretty familiar with, but this is a similar blueprint to what the Chiefs had when they won, that Frank Clark wasn't this world-dominant D-end, but he had an impact. There's no doubt about it. They had that secondary that could disrupt plays, get you a turnover, tackle in the open field, come forward and sack and get pressure. You saw a lot of those same things with that Kansas City defense, and that's really all they needed, right? They didn't need the team's defense to be at the top of the top. They needed it to just be okay and not a liability, and I think that's exactly where the Seahawks defense is at this moment. I I I know they're ranked differently but at this moment i think that's exactly where they are and they could even take another step forward might not be this season and it might not happen in the playoffs but they are good enough to keep them in games keep this offense competitive enough to win them games going forward well yeah and it hasn't just been dunlap's arrival in seattle it's also been the health of jamal adams and him being available and being in the lineup uh, he, you know, his impact in the Philadelphia game, that may have been his best game since the Atlanta game in week one. And he was a difference maker, not just in coverage, uh, but also getting after the quarterback. Uh, and he'll let you know about it, too. He let Joe Fan know about it. <laughs> shout out to oh, Joe. Yeah. Mr. Uh, Joe. Taking I think those, Mr. Yeah. Joe. Mr. Joe. Shout out to him. But uh, in cut number four, Pete Carroll was talking to the media yesterday, and he said, he can definitely feel the momentum swinging towards the defense. You guys wouldn't have thought it. I wouldn't have thought that it w- might be possible to be a, a top ten rushing group. You know, we're already. I don't know. We're we're up in the top ten numbers in in terms of sacks and hits on the quarterbacks, and and we've turned that thing around in a hurry. And uh, so, um, you know, it, we we had we definitely can feel the momentum of of, of the shift happening, and and this what we've been waiting for. We all had to be patient because we all want to see it go. And but uh, now it's time to keep proving it. I wonder if the defense is kind of like how we were told 
so often with the offensive line when Tom Cable was the uh, offensive line coach here that, you know, it takes time to build continuity on the defense. Just to, like every year around week nine or week 10 and be like, just, just give it some time. You know, uh, the offensive line is going to come around and, so often it didn't, but I, I feel like this uh, this defense right now for the Seahawks is is getting there. It, it's not going to be an overnight thing, obviously, uh, but where it is right now, I think, is palatable for the rest of the season. If the Seahawks continue to play like they have against Arizona, against Philadelphia, I mean, that is a recipe for success, and I think Colin Cowherd of Fox Sports and Cut 6 here he said that figuring out the pass rush may have solved Seattle's biggest problem. By the way, in September, Seattle had five total sacks and allowed 500 yards a game in September. In October, they allowed 460 yards a game. In November, they have 22 sacks and are allowing 340 yards a game. Every month, they coach it up, they acquire, they get better, and you watch Seattle last night, and to me, they look like a Super Bowl team. Because they got the coach, the quarterback, the pass rush, and the playmakers. Not saying they're going to win the Super Bowl, but those are the four things you have to have. And one of them was missing in September and early October, and now they've solved it. Taylor, does the pass rush and what Seattle has been able to do with that, does that mask, I guess, what they've been in the secondary this season where they've allowed so many passing yards where the last couple of weeks has not been the case? Do you think now with this pass rush figured out – it makes Seattle, as Cowherd just said there, a Super Bowl contender. Yeah, and, and I do. And, and if you look back at the Seahawks' history, and until this year they hadn't lost a game where they gave up over 400 yards, right? Where there was that sweet spot where if you, they were giving up that many yards, they were getting something else, and they were dominating the run game, so they were forcing them to pass. Now I feel like that team has reemerged. And three six zero with a great text here. Just how many de- different defensive lineups did they use in the first few weeks? First going forward, how much consistency will they have in what the defensive lineup looks like, and and what the rotation looks like, and reps and things like that? And I, I think that's a great point that now they're familiar. And we heard it from players specifically that when you have the trust, right, when you have that belief in one another and the 11 players on the field believe in the other 10, they can accomplish a lot and that they have enough talent to accomplish what they want. So it feels like they're hitting that sweet spot right now. And it's fitting, again, heading into these weaker games against the New York and New York teams. More texts coming in uh, as to who would be a good uh, replacement for Larry Scott. Uh, the 425 says a good set of bald tires. That'd be an interesting one to see there. That's and another true. 425, another 425 says Wiley Coyote, who usually had – he never came out on the winning end, but, hey, that who does that remind you of? Larry Scott. And, Curtis, you'd probably get some sort of sponsorship deal with Acme. He uses so much Acme products, you could at least get him to buy some rights, invest, maybe dump some money into the Pac-12. We can start to compete with some of these bigger games. Some tweets coming in here, and you can tweet at Taylor Jacobs or at a kid from Kent. Uh, Lamp, just, just Lamp in general. Uh, a dog here from Jack Ryder. His dog says, let's start by talking Pac-12 Network and exec comp. That's what I'm talking about already on top of it as a dog. So keep them coming either on Twitter or 710710. What person, place, or thing could run the Pac-12 better than Larry Scott? 
Coming up in the next hour, we'll take a trip around the NFL, look at some of the biggest headlines heading into Week 13, as well as the keys to a Seahawks victory over the New York Giants. But before we do that, we'll get you a college football scoreboard as well as the noon hours Big 3. That's all up ahead here on Seattle Sports Saturday.